0: Well, today's date is April 15th, 2018, and the title of today's message is Drumroll, Fix Your Eyes. Say it with me. Fix your eyes. There we go. So what are we going to talk about this morning? You're going to say that a lot more throughout this message. Amen. All right. Last Wednesday, Pastor Wade, the homiletic blade. Preached a fantastic word. Called reverse validation. You know, it's a much needed message that has been filling the depths of my soul. I've been chewing on it all week. It's been part of every conversation, Bible study uh, that's been going around. He preached from second Corinthians four 17 and shared that our troubles, which are light and momentary are evidence that our obedience to, uh, of our obedience to Jesus and achieving for us the crushing eternal weight of, of his glory. Y'all like that exchange program? We give him our light and momentary troubles and God gives us us, his eternal glory that is crushing and weighty to outdo the light momentary. I'd like to pick up from this scripture and expound upon the next step that you must take after recognizing you are walking in the reverse validation. Please turn to second Corinthians chapter four, verse 17. sound like an announcer for a boxing match. There. Second Corinthians 417. Say there when you are there. I'm going to have fun this morning, Cassidy. Is that okay? I have your permission. I may be captivated by your beauty and distracted from time to time and fall off this stage, but I think I'll manage as well. There we go. Plug in that crockpot. Second Corinthians 17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18, here we go. This is what we do next. So we I'm sorry, so we not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So let's say it again, saints. So we. One more time because I'm not smart. So we. There we go. One more thing. It's a church thing. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, fix your eyes. eyes. There we go. All right. Let's begin. Let's go to Psalm three, verse three. Say there when you are there. You know, there's one direction that Jesus is always calling us, and that is upwards towards him. Amen. So we must always be fixing our eyes upwards towards him. Amen? Amen? When you went to Jerusalem from any location in Israel, you were always going up to Israel. God's perspective for you is that you are always fixing your eyes because he's always expecting you to. To go up to where he's at. Amen. Amen. Psalm 3, 3. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. Come on. Let me read that one more time. Let it sink in. Sometimes very simple things in the word are the most powerful things in the word. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. Who's ever experienced a life situation where you needed a shield around you from the Lord? Amen. So this applies to you. If you didn't raise your hand, just wait. Life will throw you something that you can use it for. You bestow glory on me. Who wants the crushing weight of God's glory on them as they're being shielded by God's glory? I do. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel sense. I'm talking about the cavode, his presence that is everything, his very presence that will Remove the need of the sun at the end of time, and he will be the light of the entire universe. you bestow so glory on me and lift up my head. You guys ever had a bowed head before? And I'm, I'm not talking about blessing your meal. I'm talking about from the crushing weight of life itself, circumstances, depression, things just ain't working out right for the hundred thousandth time. And your head's hanging down. Do you need the glory of God to lift up your head? In order to do that, we must fix our eyes. Oh, man, you own it. That's great. The ability to fix our eyes is founded upon our understanding of the character of God. Look at the beginning of this verse. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. Without the revelation of Jesus, he being the container of the character of God, you put your butt in the wrong place. Because of how this verse start. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. When your butt is in the wrong place, you'll find yourself like Gideon saying, but Lord, how can I save Israel? His butt was in the wrong place. Or maybe like Martha. When speaking of the death of her brother Lazarus, she said, but Lord, he stinketh. That's King James Version if you ain't aware of that he's been in the grave for four days. She had her butt in the wrong place. Or like one of Jesus' disciples. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Well, did God save Israel? Come on. You better Bible than that. Did God save Israel? Amen. Through Gideon's time. With Lazarus. Did Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave? Did Jesus show himself to the world? Did they have their butt in the wrong place? All right. So we got to get our butts out of the wrong place and into the right place. When you fix your eyes on the revelation of who Jesus is, you are able to say, I am shielded by God's mighty power and will prevail under any circumstance, trial or enemy that surrounds you. This, in turn, puts you in the position to have his glory bestowed upon you and his hand lift up your head. Like I said earlier, some of the most simplistic scriptures that are there are the most powerful because we need something that just speaks directly to our condition and shows us what to do about it. Amen. Let's go to Numbers 21. Wendy, I want you to say there when you're there. Really loud, like hurt Cody's ears. All right, look at that. Everybody give Wendy a hand. Numbers 21, starting in verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. And many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. You know, we have the opportunity in our our life within the body of Christ. And let's be honest, our life in participating in services here at church. That at this altar, I have seen many people... Come because they were snake bitten. They were snake bitten by their own hard hearts and the sin that ensued. And they came and they asked for help. They were crying out to the Lord. And usually when they would, when they do, when you do, you come down to the altar. Knees are on the bottom uh, floor. Hands are usually up here at the very top. And their head is anywhere from the first step to the the second step. Depends on how much sin actually you were in. The lower the head, the more sin that you were in. It's what we call bomb shelter position, right? That the weight of the conviction of God is falling upon that person as they come down to this altar. Now, that may have not just happened at an altar for you. That may have happened in your bedroom. Whenever the weight of God began to sit upon you and the consequences of your sin are crushing you. It may have happened even in your car that you couldn't drive. You had to stop and pull over to the side of the road because you could not breathe as a result of the conviction of God weighing upon you. Well, there's a solution. Number one, for Israel's sake and for yours, we have an advocate you know, it's not, God, it's not God's will that men would perish. He desires that you go up to where he is at. And it begins by fixing your eyes upon who he is. He is not a God who just wants to destroy you, looking for any reason to find you guilty and grind you as fine as dust. That's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve is the God who is looking to rescue you, looking to deliver you, transform you, fill you with his very nature so that you are not snake bitten and thereby dead, but instead you're redeemed and you're alive. Amen. But man's rejection of his salvation again and again and again, stiff arming the Holy Ghost and walking in a manner that not only rejects that salvation, but then goes further into wickedness and evil. Those he will grind into the dust because it is just that he does so. What are your lives going to speak of? Are you going to cry out for a savior and be willing to do whatever he tells you to do? You know, at this point, they're desperate. They're, they're like, whatever needs to make this stop, please make it stop. We're getting bitten by snakes and we're dying left and right. You know, there's a point of desperation that a man or woman has to come to before they relinquish complete control of their life to the king of kings. He is either Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing at all. This was the point I came to when I was 16 years old. Now, granted, I'd only been living 16 and until you're officially over the age of 18, you have some hope of getting out of the state of being ignorant and completely stupid. So I was well in the stupid and ignorant stage. But yet one thing I did know was aware of is that I was steeped in sin and I had no way of delivering myself out of it. And everything that I did to fix my own life only resulted in a deeper depravity and sin wrapping itself around me. The snake bite just kept getting worse and the venom ran through my veins, destroying my life at every single turn. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it brought me to the point where I cried out for an advocate. Do something. I don't care. I'm dead anyway. You take my life and you have it. You run it. When I gave up that control, I then began to experience what Israel did here in Numbers 21. Let's pick up in verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on the pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Come on, anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. What a source of salvation. That they had to fix their eyes on this bronze serpent. This metal bronze represents the judgment of God. And they had to look upon this image. And by doing so, it demonstrated a level of trust with action. And they would begin to live and be redeemed from their snake bitten condition. All they had to do was fix their eyes. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. We fix our eyes when we begin repenting through action and looking to the source of salvation lifted up before us. What is God putting before you right now? That he's asking you to fix your eyes upon that is him offering you salvation. Because I think if you just stop and wait long enough, it'll become clear exactly what the Lord is trying to do for you to rescue you, to redeem you from a situation that your own sin caused. Come on, We've got some folks in the room with a record. And when I'm not talking about the 33s that you spent on a tabletop, I'm talking about the criminal record that keeps on turning in your life. That was a result of your own sin. Plain and simple. I don't care what the technicalities or justification was for it. But you know, there can be a moment where God is able to expunge from your record everything that you were bitten by in your own sinful nature. You know, Rick Laughlin has an amazing testimony. If you don't know it, take him to dinner, preferably at Perry's. And he will tell you all about it. That God removed the death sentence on Rick Laughlin's life and even expunged his criminal record with the state of Texas and I think about two or three other states. He walks right now a free man, but more importantly, free of sin, not just free from a criminal background. He's no longer snake bitten and he lives. Now he has a, a wife and two sons that are living in the name of Jesus. John 3.14 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Believe is a very churchy word. It's a big churchy word. It's thrown around loosely by those who really don't know Jesus. Jesus. It's a way of acknowledgement. Big guy upstairs. Dude in the sky. Big guy in the sky. Uh, Some kind of tipping the hat to who God is is somehow going to endear his heart to rescue you from everything that you've destroyed your life with. Sure, I'm sure that'll work. Believe is to demonstrate trust-grounded actions. Trust-grounded actions. And what that looks like is repentance from the very beginning. And that repentance is a demonstration of fixing your eyes upon Jesus and thereby receiving the deliverance that you need. Jesus is always calling us upwards, so we must always fix our eyes on him. There is no other option, no other alternative to your situation, condition, or position. Damien and Tamika are, are here this morning. Not only did they bring us a picture of their daughter, D'Angelia, who is resurrecting out of a, a state of being dead in one service. Now she is smiling. She's interacting. She's opening her eyes. She's responding to questions and answering them correctly. Her white blood cell count is going down. Healing process is restoring this young lady. The resurrecting power that not only we preach about, that we depend on for our very lives and experience not just once but every single day is now filling this young girl's life and is offering an opportunity for everyone in Damien's family, everyone within that hospital, on that floor, to come and fix their eyes on a miracle right before them. That when I walked in there two days ago, the nurse, a brand new, I'm sorry, not nurse, a brand new doctor comes in and he says, Oh, this is the girl that died in church. Yes, that's exactly right. The testimony of Jesus' resurrection power is filling Sugarland Methodist Hospital. Now, you will have those with twisted hearts that will twist the story and say that it was medicine or paramedics or whatever else that saved her. No, she had to be revived three times in the back of this sanctuary. Her heart completely stopped. Cardiac arrest. Dropped dead. Alive, dead, alive, dead, alive. And now, every time that a nurse or doctor walks into that room, Damien requires that they pray with him before they do any service to his daughter. So you have some that are are wonderful believers. You have some that are just worldly, and this is a, 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 a gifting that they have to take care of people. Some walk in and exalt themselves above who God is. And he still requires the same from all. There was one nurse that refused to pray with him. Damien's not just smart. He's street smart. So Damien said, yeah, you're not going to pray with me? All right. Charge nurse, come see. Charge nurse comes in. She said, yes, Yeah, what do you need? He said, I would like to pray for you and all of your staff. So the charge nurse goes and steps in the hallway. Hey, everybody, y'all come here. Damien's going to pray for y'all. The last one pulling up the line is the one that didn't want to be prayed for, but she had to come because it's what her boss told her she had to do. You're going to get it one way or the other. He is using the testimony of Jesus in his daughter's life to fix others' eyes upon the same God that he depends on. One of the parts of the testimony that speak of the character of God within this family is that when she was dead... And he knew there was nothing else that he could do to revive his daughter and bring her back to life. The first thing he did is walk right down this aisle and kneel down and begin to intercede on her behalf. He began to fix his eyes on the one who could actually cure the state of death, even though he couldn't. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are then able to fight the battles God has called us to and provide victory for other people. Let's go to Exodus 17. While you're turning there, everybody say, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. There you go. See there. there when you were there. there. Man, are you there? Sorry, you had a sip of coffee in your mouth. Exodus 17, verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady Till sunset, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Justin, tell me what is the paleo symbol for the Hebrew letter yod? Yod is a, a paleo symbol of a man with his hands raised. Right? It is the the definition is to work. To throw or to worship. That when we raise our hands, we are working. When we raise our hands, we are worshiping. When we raise our hands, we are throwing off that which is trying to hinder us. We are fixing our eyes on the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The manner in which Moses fixed his eyes was by lifting up his head and raising his arms in praise during the midst of a battle. Your response to reverse validation is exactly what Moses did at the battle that, you're, that uh, Joshua, Joshua won. When you are feeling that weight, that crushing weight of a light and momentary trouble, and that may seem paradoxical, but it, what is overwhelming you, The only response that you have that can guarantee your victory in everybody else's, you lift up your head, you raise your arms, and you fix your eyes on the living God who can change that situation. In that manner, you're going to find the direction. You're going to find the insight and discernment that you need to actually then go and fix that situation. How many times have you, have I, Rush into battle without lifting our head, without raising our arms, without fixing our eyes on Jesus, and we begin to just hack away, swing our sword left and right, and then we wonder why we get our butts kicked by the end of the battle. Now, James is very clear. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Don't rush into battle without lifting your head, raising your arms, and fixing your eyes. Say, fix your, eyes. fix your eyes. There we go. In Joshua 24, the people declared the great signs the Lord to perform before their, their very eyes when they were delivered out of Egypt. What do we do to fix slavery in this world? We fix our eyes. In second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat declares that we do not know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. What do we do? In the midst of battle, when we have no battle plan, we only got about 30% participation. Here we go. We, oh, y'all deserve a gold star. In Psalm 118, 22 through 24, we see a prophetic word about the son of God. It begins with the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We have the example set before us through Jesus. How is that? He was rejected by men. But Cody, he was exalted by God. He now sits enthroned at the right hand of God so that we can. There we go. On him, the author and perfecter of our faith. No matter what kind of day you have, who's ever had a bad day? Yeah. Who's ever had a good day? Yeah. Who's ever had a really, really bad day? Yes. Who's ever had a really, really good day? All right. So nobody, if you hand her down, you lying. It's all the above. No matter what kind of day that you have ever had. It is the day that the Lord has made and you have the opportunity to rejoice in it. Joy is not circumstantial. I'm going to say it again. Joy is not circumstantial because we have the opportunity to. There we go. So you remember anything after this message is going to be that phrase. We rejoice when we fixed our eyes. Go to Acts chapter sixteen, verse twenty-four. Mom, you there? All right. Amen. Acts sixteen twenty-four. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. How do you think they they physically looked when they were praying and singing hymns? Somebody demonstrate it for me. Hands up, head up, right? Exactly. Chris has got it. Sway in back and forth like he's in a gospel choir. Praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to him. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The result of Paul and Silas fixing their eyes on the hope in just the name of Jesus Forcing their flesh to shut up, directing their souls to glorify God, despite the fact that they've been unjustly put in prison and labeled as a criminal. Come on, what do you do when someone treats you unjustly? Do you justify a fleshly reaction to retaliate with biting and cutting words or even worse, actionable retaliation that tries to demean and destroy them? as much as you felt they were trying to demean and destroy you. How do you react when you're put in that same position? Well, there's a variety of answers. I think more answers than we have books for. But I know that there's one answer that's true. And that is that you fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the only one that can actually fix your eyes. It's a double entendre. That once you allow the blood of Jesus to correct your eyesight, then you have the ability to lock in your eyes on him and see clearly everything that he is doing beyond your immediate circumstance. Come on, who's ever had a flat tire before? Because being in prison is one thing, flat tire. Do you guys get out of the car once you come to a stop and rejoice and dance and leap and praise God? I know I don't. But I know that there was one time that I was riding with some brothers and this happened to us. And the brother jumped out and he said, thank you, Jesus. You know what my flesh said? Shut up. I wanted to grumble. I wanted to complain. I wanted to justify why this is just such a horrible situation. And we don't deserve this. We're actually on our way to a Bible study at the moment. And you know, that brother's joy, his countenance, was able to th- enable us to find the favor of God. We had that tire changed out quicker than NASCAR could. It was in no time. And it was simple. It's like nothing ever happened. We're back on the road in 15 minutes. We're playing Christian reggae worship music. And it was wonderful. I know. I was kind of threw a curveball. That brother enabled us to fix our eyes on the things that he was fixed on. And that was that the power and favor of God was stronger than our own strength to fix our own problems. So let God fix your eyes in both ways. There's some situations in our room right now that are personal examples where you need this encouragement. Because my whole goal of putting this word together was to encourage you, as I encourage myself, of what God is doing in our midst, right? We don't preach series, but we preach as led by the Spirit of God. And what God's Spirit is moving within our church right now is a continual evaluation of the status of our heart. Are we being obedient to his word? Are we pouring ourselves out to the last drop in order to do what he's told us to do? Are we removing idols from our life that stand in the way? Are we joyfully participating in the reverse validation that is happening to our lives and not blaming ourselves, anyone else, or even God for circumstances that aren't pleasant? And that the goal of this message is that you have burned inside of your soul, inside of your mind, the the action that you must repetitiously take after you've recognized that you're going through some level of suffering as a result of being obedient. You know, I don't see many people in here that are weary, burdened, and just worn out. What I see is a church who's starting to catch their breath. We're constantly warring with things, but the tide is turning to our favor in the name of Jesus. You know, though you've lost a job for whatever reason, if you fix your eyes, God can begin to bring to you the job that you need. It will give you the discernment that you need. If you are have experienced a miscarriage, I am sorry that that has happened to you. We've happened, has, we've had several happen to us, Cassidy and I. And death, it stinks. I can't wait for death to be destroyed. But the very next step that you have to do once you realize that these light momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal glory that is crushing is that you now fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. You fix your eyes on what God can do in this circumstance. That he can use you to pour out his comfort to others. He can use you to have a relatable circumstance that can deliver somebody from a life of bondage to sin. That's what happened here within this prison cell. That the result of Paul and Silas praising God, lifting up their hands, raising their heads... And glorifying who God was resulted in a jailer being born again. Resulted in the name of Jesus being lifted high. So you have to remember at all times, though I am going through some kind of difficulty, and it's the result of my obedience to the king of kings, I must always fix my eyes. speak to a couple more things. I don't think I'm done with that. You know, there's a certain kind of feeling. I don't clarify this. It's a feeling. Come on. Just to make sure everybody say feeling. feeling. All right. So you understood me when you're single, there is a feeling of being in prison. It's a lie. I'm telling you, it's a lie in the name of Jesus. Though you're single, you're never alone. And the joy in being single is that you are able to fix your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. Can I get an amen from the single people in the house? There we go. Now, one of the sayings that is true is that you got to look up before you hook up. you got to fix your eyes on Jesus so you can get the right eyesight to see who God is trying to put next to your side. Come on, I need an organ going on behind me now. That The, the plans, the destination that God has for every single one of you is that he is going to fulfill his promises in your life. We know from history in the word, we know from history in our own lives, when we begin to work out our own salvation, it doesn't result in salvation. It results in condemnation. So single people, fix your eyes on the king of kings. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5. Come on, y'all going to write that phrase down in your uh, your Bible? Is that good, Timo? I got a thumb up. Amen. (laughs) Revelation chapter 5, verse 3. Y'all there? All right. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, it's one thing to go through Christmas Day. And you're trying to guess at what's inside that wrapped present that has your name on it. It's torture, isn't it? Come on, let's be honest. It's torture. And as a child, I'm sure all of you grew up pure as the driven snow. That you never went and took a razor and sliced the edge of the paper to peek inside? Or you never ventured into your parents' closet while they were gone to see what they bought you for Christmas? I'm sure y'all didn't do what I did. Well, how much more then do we have a scroll with the full revelation of God's plan? How it was going to unfold for salvation for the entire world. That no one could open it. No one could even look inside of it. It was a mystery yet to be revealed. I I don't think that's something we can really fully comprehend. The the magnitude is immense. And the result is this. Let's continue in Revelation. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Is God able to open what seems closed off in your life right now? Yes, absolutely. Don't discount the character of who God is. He is a good father. Despite what your father was ever like, that's not the complete representation of who God the Father is. He desires to give His children good gifts. If you ask for bread, He will not give you stone. If you ask for a fish, He will not give you a snake. But when you are fixing your eyes upon him, he will take a miscarriage and he will make it glorious for his name. He will take a lost job and he will glorify his name through providing for you one way or another as you're continually obedient to him. He will take an ongoing immigration status and a constant threat to be kicked out of the country. And he will make you a permanent resident of where he wants you to be. We have a hope in just who the character of God is, despite the circumstances that we stand in. That's the goal I'm really trying to infuse into your hearts and souls. That a week, a month from now, when you feel dejected and depressed, and you're wondering, Lord, I put all my labor, I put all my effort into doing your will, but it just won't open up. That no matter what I do, I am not only frustrated, but everything seems to be going in the reverse direction. We're trying to have children and we're having miscarriages. I'm trying to, to further a diligence with my finances and I'm losing my job. We serve a God who can open scrolls. We serve a God who can reveal his will to the nations because he has triumphed. Let's look at verse 6 in Revelation 5. Read this with me. Then I saw a lamb. Revelation, seeing who Jesus is, fixing your eyes on him, begins to revive that hope of a hopeless situation. It was because Damien, his wife, this church had their eyes fixed on Jesus that D'Angelia was able to be sustained in life and be rescued from death. It's because of our eyes fixed on Jesus that little Riley is running around like around here and you would never know that she had open heart surgery at, at a week and a half old. We are a church that walks around with banners and badges of honor, of reverse validation, that we have experienced the power of God redeeming us, rescuing us from hopeless situations. Because we looked up, fixed our eyes, and said, we said, then I saw a lamb. Come on, you got to be there before you're actually there. You have to have a conviction based on absolutes. It says that Jesus is going to be Lord of my life despite anything else that happens in my life. You have to make that that up, your mind up about that ahead of time. As we get near the end of this message, I want to quickly go through some scriptures that illustrate the result of fixing your eyes. You're going to want to write these down, so I'll, I'll take some time. You ready, Cody? Ready. Pens ready. All right, let's go to Genesis twenty-two 13. Don't worry about turning. We're going to put them up on the screen. I want you guys to be able to write these down. Genesis 22, 13. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. Isn't this exactly what we just read in Revelation 5, 6? Then he saw a lamb. He saw the king of the sheep. Let's go to Genesis chapter 24, verse 64. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel. Amen. Rebecca had her eyes fixed on the character of God. And when she recognized that God was setting her in a family that would inherit the promises of God, she got off her camel and went and joined the call of her future husband. Single ladies, I picked this verse because I wanted to speak to you. That there is a hope. There is a hope that your beauty through obedience will enable you to fix your eyes on what God has specifically prepared for you. Don't give up hope. Don't let the devil have that victory. Let your beauty emanate from your obedience to the king of kings. And that will let every available man know that you have fixed your eyes on the king of kings and you are more valuable than precious stones and rubies. Amen. Third one, First Samuel 6, verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at its sight. Why they rejoice at the side of the ark? Because God's presence was with them, and there was something they could fix their eyes upon, signifying the power and the presence of God. What do we need when we are going about our work in the valley, harvesting, and there is an enemy encroaching upon us, threatening our way of life? We look for that ark. We look for the presence of God, and in doing so, it causes us to rejoice. We must, oh, come on, let's do it again. We must, there we go. The fourth one, Daniel chapter 10, verse five. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. This was not Rob. As finely dressed as Rob is, this was not him. But Daniel looked up and saw a man standing before him that presented or represented the very presence of God. That he was no longer alone in this struggle or fight. That the destiny of the nation of Israel was not dead. They were going to return back to what God had promised them. They would be restored and his name would dwell in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Sometimes it takes our encounter with the presence of God and seeing the image of who Jesus is to revive that hope of what he has promised. But let me tell you something. Another thing that it does, when we come in contact with the pure presence of God, this finest gold around his waist, it then is something to measure our own expectations against. And what I mean is there are things that we have fixed our eyes on that are not Jesus. Expectations, even within the kingdom, that the will of God is going to look like this, this, and this. And then as it begins to play out, as we go through trials and circumstances that challenge it, if not try to destroy it, we have put all of our confidence on what we added to what God said. And it is a blessing that we encounter those things because it refines and purifies that divine revelation that we get from him. And what is left after the trial is something that is of the finest gold around our waist. According to uh, Ephesians, the armor of God, it is the belt of that is around our waist. What we see here in this man in Daniel 10 is that there is a divinity of truth around his waist. And that is what he wants to impart into you. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we then are able to measure the standards of what we fixed our eyes on previously. And what doesn't belong is removed. And what remains, Mary, is something that we can camp on for an eternity. Come on, everybody wants a vacuum that works. Right? Everybody wants a car that works. Let me hear you say amen. Amen. Imagine if you had either one of those that would last for an eternity. Woo, man. Yes. That's a Hoover that won't quit. Chevy, Toyota, move over. Well, Chevy already died. Ford's been dead a long time ago. Probably a Honda still running another thousand years. But when we have the promises of God before our eyes, and we are fixed on the character of who he is, we are obtaining and building something that will last for an eternity. Let me relate that to something more pertinent to what's going on right now in this church. What began in 2002 in a a living room of a couple that was called to start a church in Sugarland, Texas, has now grown to the point where we are a powerful and mighty church that is doing work on four continents as we speak. This church is doing work on four continents right now. That what is being built as a result of fixing our eyes on who God is and what he is doing to be at work in this ministry, is resulting in generations of men and women of God that will go further and do more than the previous generations have already done. That's how the name and the work of Jesus is eternal. It doesn't just reside within me or you. In the same way that the praise and worship that Paul and Silas were doing, set free other people. Well, imagine what that jailer went and did after he experienced that he went and told us whole household. This was the man that was in his dream of Macedonia of what God had already promised Paul would encounter. And then it continued from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, how far are you going to impact the generations after you with your ability to fix your eyes on Jesus now? That's something serious to contemplate. Every choice, every action, even every attitude that you have is going to transfer to the next generation. Let it be one that is characterized by fixing your eyes on the king of kings. Amen. Let's go to Matthew 17.8. This is one of my favorite. It says, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Come on, man, this is the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah were standing next to Jesus. And when it was all said and done, they looked up and saw no one but Jesus. All the time, every time, we need to be able to look up in the midst of our circumstances and sufferings. And the only thing that we need to see is Jesus. He's all we need. He's all you need. He's the only one that we need to fix our eyes on. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Y'all remember what one of the comments were whenever this happened? of The comments from those that were looking upon Stephen. It said that his face... Shone or shine like that of an angel. His eyes were fixed on Jesus well before he ever got to the point of being stoned by the Sanhedrin. He was there before he was there. And one of the results is that not only that he saw Jesus, but the byproduct was that his face was radiant with the glory of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Last one, John chapter 4, verse 35. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. The goal of fixing your eyes on Jesus is not only for your personal salvation and provision, but it is more so for the salvation of others. You guys ever been walking in a line maybe in school and the person at the very front of the line was just looking down at their feet, not paying attention to where they go. And as a result, they veered off and went a different direction than the teacher or whoever was leading them was leading the whole group gets separated or even worse. Like what happened to me is that I was at the front of the line looking at my feet. I'll let everybody into a ditch instead of walking down a path. Next thing you know, everybody's falling down the ditch and into the mud. What happens whenever you begin to get your life right and right with God? It's not just going to affect you. No, we always say that sin affects others in addition to you. It takes you further in what you want to go. Fixing your eyes on Jesus will cause righteousness to grow. It'll lead others and not just affect you. It'll set your whole family right. It'll set your finances right. It'll set your mind right in the name of Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I know that when I was lost, I was crazy. I know that if you put me through a psychological test, I'd be insane. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Why? Because it is a mind that is fixed on Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll begin to wrap it up. Y'all have hope in this house? Yes. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is as plain as it gets. Let us, say it with me, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning a shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, my goal in sharing this message is that your heart, soul, and spirit receive the encouragement that it needs to be joyful while you endure trials. And persevere with an attitude that fixes your eyes on Jesus, who is the goal of your faith. It's difficult, though. Let's just talk brass tacks. It's difficult to do that. You have waging in war in your soul. You have the reality of of events right in front of you. Your checking account may only have $3.28 in it. That's a reality that you have to live with because you can't go buy what you need to live until more gets in that bank account. You may have a criminal record that seems to pop up from time to time, particularly at the most inopportune time that hinders you from proceeding forward with getting a passport, getting a license, whatever else it may be. You're trying to get your life in right order with God. But this is following behind you. The King that we serve, the Lamb of God, whose blood we are washed under, when we fix our eyes on Him, He can begin to make all these things right. Where's your hope? Has your heart grown weary? Are you starting to get faint? You're holding strong, but your arms are trembling. You call an Aaron. You call a her next to you. You ask your brothers and your sisters around you to hold up your arms. You know what? I'm getting tired. I've been holding up the standard. I'm doing what's righteous. As long as I hold the standard, we're winning the battle. The minute I begin to let down that standard, we begin to lose. You know what? I'm fighting for a shalom in my home. And as I uphold it, everyone in my house is getting right for relax just a minute. The tide begins to turn. How much longer do I have to do this? You know what? I need a brother on my right. I need a brother on my left. I need a sister on my right, a sister on my left to help hold the standard. You know what? Maybe get to the point where you're so tired that you got to sit down. Moses sat upon a stone. And he rests there as he raises his hands. There may need to be, there has to be a revelation from a scripture. What we call in this church stones, a three by five index card that you have in your back pocket at all times. And you're constantly pulling it out, reminding yourself, this is what I'm fixing my eyes on, the character of God and this scripture. And you have to do it day after day after day. Not wondering or fixing your eyes on how much longer, Lord, do I have to wait? But fixing your eyes on Jesus that is saying, I will wait as long as it takes. I will endure as long as I have to of holding up the standard of God until victory has come. Jesus is always calling us upwards. So we must always. Fix our eyes on him. As we stand to our feet, I want to reflect on the end of Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As your pastor, it is my joy. It is my burden, it is my duty, it is my call to make sure that everyone here is sufficiently challenged and strengthened. That your discernments, that what you are basing your life on, decisions, and the way that you're engaging God's word in his presence is exactly what it needs to be. So that you may inherit the call and the promise of God on your life. But this moment, I want you to consider, am I fixing my eyes on Jesus or am I fixing my eyes on something else? If you're going through this, this service, whether through worship or through the word, and it all sounds good, it's entertaining, there's some funny elements in it, but you just can't relate to the things that we're saying, it's because you don't have a right relationship with Jesus. And you need a right relationship with Jesus. Not because I say so or anybody else in this house says so. It's because God designed and engineered you to have a relationship with him. And there's nothing else in this life that you can fix your eyes on and actually live. You're snake bitten. Death is at work within you. If you do have a right relationship with Jesus, you're persevering, you're holding on strong, we want to come beside you on your right and your left. We want to hold up your arms. We want you to experience that be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't experience speaking in tongues one time. Say that we're, we're spirit filled. Check a box and then never engage God's presence to that depth again. That is just the start. That's just the beginning place. We're to continually to go to that fountain of life, that wellspring of living water inside of us that gives us that rock, Kazak Hamatz. That gives us that ability to fix our eyes on what God has put in front of us in the character of who he is.